Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Okay, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another extremely hearty episode of the Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast. Today, we are joined by myself, Daniel Foch, a real estate broker, Nick Hill, a mortgage agent, and the one and only Patrick Cassette, who is a CPA, an accountant who is unbelievably knowledgeable in the topic of real estate. That was a wild, wild ride, eh, Nick? Wow. I'm sitting here and I'm telling Dan that I don't know if I feel dumber after listening to all that, but I guess it's kind of, you don't know what you don't know. And, and Until you speak to Patrick. And to, exactly. And I mean, not only is he an, an absolute, just a 12 of a guy, humble, nice. He's also the founder and CEO of XTR Financial Group, the CFO for a large multinational specialty contractor, a leader in the construction real estate space fellow real estate investor. His firm specializes in providing full service accounting, CFO advisory, consulting, progressive technology solutions for business owners in the GTA, and offers virtual services nationwide. Not really that much of an impressive guy. You know, we don't really have impressive people on the podcast. We just got, you know, your average guys here. So, so yeah, <laughs> so we went through with Patrick, basically a full scope of questions that we get asked a lot of tax questions, like a lot. It's probably one of the most common and things. we don't know the we answers. Know nothing to about tax. And we're <laughs> legally not supposed to know or advise anybody anything about tax. So we did make the promise that we would find somebody who was going to be an expert recurring guest. So Patrick will be back because you'll realize when you go through this that you're going to have to put a bib on, by the way. If you don't have your bib on already, you're going to need that because it's a very full <laughs> plate that you're about to digest. But tons and tons of information. And each question that we ask could easily be its own episode. So we talk about whether or not you should invest personally as a, or as a corp. We talk about provincial versus fed corps, tax deductions, when you should start your corporation. I mean, for the, for those of you who are waiting on or waiting on anything accountant related, this is the one. So, I mean, I think it goes without saying, Nick, and you can maybe maybe talk a little bit more about it, but we opened Pandora's box here and, and we aren't closing it anytime soon. Patrick will be back, I would say, probably on a quarterly basis to talk about very specific topics in the accounting space. So please keep all of your hands and feet inside the vehicle at all times and fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, I want him back because, because I found that extraordinarily valuable. And, you know, full disclosure, I've, you know, I've started several other businesses in, in my day before and outside of my real estate investing career. And I'll tell you right now, my consistent weakness was always on the on the tax and the accounting side of things. And then, you know, just a few years ago, I said, I'm, I'm done. And I went and found myself a great accountant. Unfortunately, it's not Patrick, but found myself a great accountant. And my business has changed drastically. And there are so many good things in here. And Dan's right, you know, each one of these questions, each because we, we kind of asked him seven major questions. And then he had maybe I don't know, anywhere from five to 10 bullet points. And each bullet point he spoke about for for minutes on end. So I don't want to waste any more time introducing this episode. There is a ton of stuff, a ton of value in this. As Dan said, if you, you know, to get your pens and papers out, take notes. If you want to hear anything specific, let us know and we will ask Patrick. But without further ado, this is our interview with Patrick Cassette, so we hope you enjoy it. Patrick, today, I guess we're going to be talking broadly about 
general tax strategy, but I think the big question that we get, probably the primary question that most real estate investors want to get to, and the first question that most people ask in their real estate investment journey, the first time they're going to be hiring a an accountant to answer a question for them, let's say, is, should I be buying a property under my personal name or should I be buying it as a corporation? Generally, what is the the scope of how that question might be answered and and if you're able to provide any kind of broad advice on on that topic? Yeah, this is an important question for a lot of you know real estate investors to consider when they start their journey. There are several factors that need to be considered, you know, including if this is a primary residence, if they're looking at any additional investment properties, their current financial position, any tax consideration, but most importantly, it's it's behind what the personal goals and objectives are behind the real estate portfolio. It's really important for you to understand what you're looking to get out of this portfolio and build the structure around that. So typically what I do after asking a number of questions to my clients is I'll typically recommend a structure that makes sense. But in general terms, we can say that it is more beneficial to an investor to invest through a corporation for a number of reasons that we'll talk about today. Okay, sweet. That's a good start. Now, should I be creating that that corporation in a federal or provincial form? Yeah, this is an important one as well. And I'll start by defining both. So a provincial corporation is effectively a, a legal entity that you are registering in a specific province. So Ontario or Alberta, for example, whereas a federal corporation is what's called a Canada Corp. And that is registered across Canada. Now, where you incorporate is important because it's where you are transacting business. So let's say, for example, you decide to register a business here in Ontario, but you're looking to purchase properties in Alberta. Now, because the, the entity has been registered in Ontario, you cannot transact in Alberta until you actually do a registration, which is called an extra provincial registration. However, if you register through a Canadian corp, you are registered across Canada and can therefore transact across Canada. So it's really important to make that distinction at the beginning. The registration will also impact because the corporation is a separate legal entity. There's annual requirements that you need to do from a legal and bookkeeping perspective. And there's restrictions on where a head office is located, where the records or the minute books of the corporation needs to be stored, as well as the annual general meeting of the shareholders. Now, if you register within a province, that has to happen within that province. However, if you register across Canada, that can happen in any provinces across Canada. Second to that, another important consideration when you're looking at incorporating is the business name. So you can incorporate a business with which what is called a numbered company. So one, two, three, four, five, six Ontario Inc. or one, two, three, four, five, six Canada Inc. However, if you're looking to incorporate your business with a name, so ABC Company Inc., there's a number of steps that you need to run through in order for that to occur, including conflict search, a new one search, etc., to make sure that that name is actually available for the company. So when you're registering provincially, that name is protected within the province only, whereas if you register at a federal level, that business name would be protected across Canada. One of the, I think, the most important takeaways I'm getting from this is you know, there's a lot of people living in Vancouver or Ontario that are prospective investors or investors, but they want to invest in other provinces because obviously the barrier to entry is a lot less. So it's really important to know where you want to take that business when you choose provincial or federal. Exactly. And that's really, you know, to the point that I said earlier about knowing what you want out of your portfolio mm -hmm. is important. So you set this up correctly at the beginning. You know, and, and really what I typically recommend, because it's very similar steps, is, you know, if, if you're unsure, go to the national corp route. 
that you're getting the same benefits and, and you're actually lowering your incorporation costs because instead of having to incorporate in each province, they're just registered from, from the onset uh, across the board. Awesome. Yeah. That. yeah, excellent insight. So we know, you know, from a tax perspective, purchasing a property on the primary residence side, one of the primary benefits for somebody, an owner occupier is that, you know, it's capital gains exempt for their primary residence. And so, you know, after your primary residence, there's often very little tax advantageousness for an individual to own property. On the flip side, you know, there's beyond just the tax element, there's advantages of using a corporation for the individual. One of the, the big or the, a couple of the ones that you've listed here are big reasons that, you know, that we've done it for our portfolio and and you know outside of again like the primary residence I wouldn't own anything as an individual. What would you say are are sort of the main advantages of using a corporation as a real estate investor and why people might do that? Yeah, this is a question that I see often and it's really something that it should be considered. And just to frame it a little bit, so you know, in your principal residence, if you are renting, you know, house hacking, which we're hearing a lot in the investor uh, community, and you're renting space and generating a rental income through that property, you know, that's defined as a sole proprietorship. So effectively, what happens is when, which I'll talk about in the tax questions, is when you file your return, you can deduct a certain amount of expenses, but the the really tax benefit behind that is limited. And this is why I typically see a lot of investors moving to a corporation because you're, you're gaining a lot of additional benefits in addition to tax. So some of those benefits, especially from a, corporate, a corporation perspective, is the concept of what's called limited liability. So what that means is a corporation is considered a separate legal entity and you as an owner own shares in that corporation. So when you're transacting from the corporation, it's the actual corporation that is transacting, is buying properties, is signing up for creditors and debt and loans to fund the properties. Now, one big caveat that I need to make sure that is clear, and it's an area where there is risk and it's important for the listeners to understand, is you need to really understand what you're signing. So in a typical corporation, especially new corporations, and you're going out and buying a property, you're working with lenders who don't have a credit history with that corporation. A lot of lenders are going to ask for what's called a personal guarantee. Now, when you sign that personal guarantee as a shareholder, you're effectively allowing the creditor to go after your personal assets in the event that something was to occur. Now, as you continue to build your portfolio and you're building cash flow and credit history, then over time, you can effectively remove that personal guarantee. But for a lot of the listeners are just starting, this would be a common requirement that you would see and something that's important for you to understand. You know, a second benefit from a corporation perspective is also the concept of, of the shares. So when you're creating a corporation, you're purchasing shares in a corporation, which makes it easier to transfer the interests of the shares. So you can sell the shares, you can gift the shares, you can add additional shares in a corporation for funding requirements, et cetera. It makes it a little bit easier for you to manage the capital structure behind the corporation. Another benefit as well, especially when you're looking at generational wealth planning, which is something big in, in, in the news today, is the, the concept of unlimited life. So the corporation, because it's a separate entity, continues behind the life of the original owner because the shares can be uh, passed on to the beneficiaries through the, the estate process or can be sold 
prior to that. Again, all with tax considerations that need to be uh, considered. You know, another big benefit that we mentioned and you opened uh, that, Dan, is, is really the tax benefit. So from a corporate perspective, generally the tax rates are, are lower than you would see on a personal tax bracket. And you're able to strategize a number of different avenues in order to reduce that, that tax liability, which we'll talk about in a, a few questions. You know, second to that, and really part of that portfolio is also important to understand your exit strategy. So when you're going into a property and you're acquiring properties, you should always be thinking about, you know, what happens if I have to exit or, you know, what's my plan? Am I going to buy and hold for three to five years? Am I going to exit? A corporation provides you with additional benefit because not only can you liquidate the property, you can also look to liquidate the entire portfolio by selling the shares rather than the property. So a couple of options there that are available. And not, you know, not very common today, but we're going to start seeing a lot more of that is the corporation also provides you with the accessibility to grants, right? So the government of Canada is issuing a lot of grants and those are only available to Canadian corps. And I think, you know, with a lot of what's happening today with affordability and, and you know, housing availability, I think we're going to start seeing some grants and some funding opportunities available to, to help us kind of tackle that missing middle piece that you talked about a couple of episodes back. Yeah, really great insights, Patrick. You're, uh, I'm learning a ton here, which is great. I just want to touch on a few things you said. The unlimited life, I, I know that for a ton of real estate investors, our goal is to build that generational wealth, right? So I think that is such a key part. I wanted to maybe rewind for a second to the beginning where you started answering and just talk about that personal guarantee that you have to put up if you just start a brand new corporation. Can you just give a quick explanation of that and and what may be a good example of something that a new corp would have to put up as essentially collateral. Yeah, All so your own stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly. <laughs> you, you just so, did it on that portfolio deal, Nick. <laughs> I did. That, yeah, the I part in brackets just, where he said, know what you're signing. You forgot this that. Is, this is, oh, I know, I know. This is this is hitting close to home because we we literally just went through all of this, which is great. But this isn't just for me, guys. Yeah, 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 well, in, 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 in simple terms, effectively what it is, is you're going to go to a creditor and they're going to ask for a listing of all of the assets, all the debts and the assets that you have on a personal basis. And that effectively gets lumped in as part of the security package behind the property or the loan that they're advancing to you. Right. So they're just saying, okay, if Nick stops paying for this portfolio, then I'm going to go take his vehicle and his come on his gold chains his that he put on his person that we're saving. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Fair enough. If it's an asset under your name, it's something that they can go after. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Gotcha. Okay, let's keep going here. This is a good one because this is, again, something that I'm personally transitioning into right now. So how does managing properties under a corporation differ from owning personally? Yeah, this is a good one. You know, the basic business fundamentals are the same. So how are you going to go out and find properties? How are you going to manage the properties? Really don't change. It's really everything behind that that would be impacted. So with the corporation, there's additional bookkeeping requirements and reporting requirements. You know, so you're having to file things on a monthly, on a quarterly, on an annual basis. You're also looking at what are called minute books, which is just legal documents behind the corporation that explain the bylaws and any changes you're making to the corporation that needs to be kept up to date on an annual basis. As shareholders in an organization, you're also needing to meet annually and effectively decide certain terms and conditions within that corporation for the following year. And one of the big things, especially from a corporate side of things, is the books, right? So, and 
the accounting behind that is important. It's important whether you're looking at this uh, personally from a sole, sole proprietorship perspective or even from a corporation. If you don't know your numbers, right? The saying goes, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. So it's really important for you to set that foundation at the beginning and make sure you have that structure in place so that when you are, especially through a corp, you know, approaching fellow investors or partners to JV and or a bank, they're going to ask you to see a copy of your financial statement so they can get a sense of what your balance sheet looks like, meaning, you know, how many assets do you have? How many, how much liability do you have? How does your equity structure look like? What does their profitability look like from an operations? And especially on the financing side of things, they're going to pay attention to cash flow, right? So it's important when you're setting up this corporation, you're also setting up that back office, which is the bookkeeping side of things. And even beyond that, which I'll touch on in the tax section, is really starting to think about advisors. Because the last thing you want to do is, you know, wait till the end of the year and give your bookkeeper just a box of receipts because you've missed all opportunities there from a tax planning perspective. Whoops. And it's far too late, right? You want to get this in place early enough in the process and work with an advisor um, in order to understand, you know, what tax opportunities are there before year end. So you can actually act on them and help get the, that tax as low as possible, which is what we're all trying to do. You know, beyond that as well, and one of the big common problem areas that I see, especially for, for new corporations, is really that, that, that concept behind the separate legal entities. So a corporation is completely separate from your personal affairs. So if it's a business expense, it needs to be transacted through the business. And if it's a personal expense, it should be transacted through you know, your personal affairs, personal bank accounts, et cetera, right? Everything is kept completely separate. From a funding perspective, which I think you mentioned you're just going through now, it's a little bit different when you're going to creditors to apply for a loan. As I mentioned, they're going to want to look at your financial statements. They're going to want to look at your minute book that I mentioned earlier. So just the background behind the corporation, cash flows, and sometimes depending on the size of your portfolio, they may even be looking for budgets and financial projections which is important, you know, that foundation of, of having your numbers and knowing your numbers is critical in order for you to, to make some projections. The income tax process is also a little bit different. So when you're generating personal income, so through T4, through employment, or self-employed, or simply keeping your primary residence outside of a corporation, you know, that tax time is usually about April 30th of every year. Whereas a corporation, when you incorporate the company, you actually select what the year end date is. So a year end date can follow the calendar year. So what I mean by that is a year end of December 31st. However, you may elect as a corporation to pick a different date. So if you say, for example, year end is March 31st, that is your deemed year end on an annual basis where you would prepare your financial statements and you would start planning for um, actually start preparing your tax returns, which would be due six months after that deemed, deemed year end. So going back to the example that I said, if your year end is March 31st, then you'd have to get your taxes and everything done and into CRA and paid by uh, September 30th. The other component, which I also think is important to note, is there are some extra steps in order to put money into the company and to take money out of the company, especially from a corporation perspective, coming back to that the legal entity concept. So as a shareholder, if you're looking to put money into the corporation, you would do this through either an equity instrument, so actually buying or shares in the corporation, or as a debt instrument, so looking at shareholder loans, so actually loaning the corporation funds, which have tax implications. And conversely, when you're looking to take money out of the corporation, 
you would do this through one of three things. So either through an equity instrument where you're buying back or redeeming those shares, which have tax implications, through the issuance of dividends out of the corporation to the shareholders, which also has tax implications, or as an owner of an organization. And if you're actively involved in the organization, you can look at things as employment income as well in order to take a profit out of that corporation. But you know, another big benefit, especially from being the owner of the corp, is you don't need to take the cash out of the business. If you don't need that cash, it's important for you to continue to reinvest it in the organization and continue to generate yield out of your initial investment. For sure. For those of you listening who want to ask a million more questions and for Patrick to expand on all these talking points, he will be back on the show several times in the future. So (laughs) I feel like I could just pick apart every single one of those. But the objective here is to have a conversation broadly about almost everything there is to cover in regards to tax planning and accounting in in real estate. And then gradually over time, we'll kind of hone in on, on more specific topics. So without further ado, if an individual is planning, you know, most of our listeners want to buy more than one real estate investment. If that's their objective, do you typically recommend that they purchase all of those properties under one corporation? So the portfolio corp, let's call it, is holding all of the properties? Or should each property have its own separate corporation that holds the asset? That'll depend on, on a couple of different things. So first, you know, that vision that we talked about earlier is important. You need to really understand what you're trying to get out of your portfolio and make sure you set it up accordingly at that time. And when you're creating that corp, you can create two different kinds of corporations. So you, you can either create a holding company or an operating company. So your operating company effectively would be the entity that would go out and acquire the properties and you would run your rental or portfolio through that operating company. And that would be owned through shares by the holding company. And that holding company can hold shares in multiple operating goes. So, you know, if if your plan is to go out and buy multiple properties in different markets for different reasons, different types of properties, you can structure that across various operating companies. But just as I mentioned earlier, just understand what the the actual accounting requirements behind that look like. You know, but for most general investors, if you're, you know, you're going out there and you're you're purchasing one or two rental properties in a close market within Canada, then you know, one operating co should be more than than enough. You know, a couple factors to consider when you're you're setting up that structure is to really understand your financial ratio. So again, coming back to making sure you have your accounting records up to date. When you're looking at your accounting ratios, like your debt coverage ratio, which effectively is how much income the company is generating to cover the debt service for any of the loans, your interest coverage ratio. So if you're generating enough income to cover your interest, loan to value, which you mentioned in earlier episodes, as well as your debt to equity ratio, which is how much debt is in the business in compared to assets and equity. These are all important when you go out and look for lenders in order to lend in your portfolio. A lot of them will be different. A lot of them will have requirements where they don't like to to lend on more than one or two properties. And Nick can probably touch on that a little bit more. But when you're looking to go out and buy the properties, you need to take that structure into consideration to make sure that you're setting yourself up for success in terms of your lending and as well as understanding the risks behind what's happening and making sure you structure that accordingly. I don't know, Nick, if you had some points, especially on the lending side of things. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, to be honest, I don't want to convolute this episode too much with my stuff, but yeah, just to quickly speak to what you're saying. So, I mean, usually after anything over a four plex is going to be considered commercial, right? 
But I think this is a great segue into the next question here that I think a lot of new investors struggle with, right? Like if I'm literally going to go out and I've picked my first duplex or I'm on my second one, you know, at what point does it become better for someone to invest as a corp rather than just as a individual? So like what does Nick go out and buy his first three duplexes in Nick's name or do I immediately go corporate off the bat and start doing that? Yeah, you'll want to make that decision early in the process for a number of reasons. Once you start buying things under your personal name, there are some challenges in transferring that to a corporation. You have tax implications, you know, legal insurance, any lending implications. Now, on the tax side of things, there's a section called Section 85 in the Income Tax Act, the ITA, that does offer some rollover elections. Now, there is specific rules around that. So if you, you are in that scenario, just make sure you reach out to an advisor to run through that to see if that's possible. So it is possible to transfer the assets, but in terms of when, I'd say there's no general rule of, of when you should actually start transacting in a corporation. But what I typically would recommend is anything beyond that primary residence, you just start putting through a corp from the onset as it will yield to a lot of benefits as you continue. And just a couple of things on that point, understanding the risks of real estate investing and planning accordingly is important when you're doing this. As I think Dave or Dan, it was, it was you that said it a couple episodes back, you know, best case in real estate never happens. You always have to understand <laughs> worst case and plan for it. You know, it's critical when you're setting up the structure as well to make sure that you're protecting yourself. You know, just because you see other people jumping in to real estate investment doesn't mean you should as well. You need to really understand why and what you're trying to achieve out of that. For sure. That's what we saw the last two years anyways, right? As, yeah. as the FOMO investing and everyone else was yeah, doing exactly. it. So yeah, let me get in. So, you know, I think it's really interesting because one of the things that we try and teach as a general principle here, you know, you covered it pretty tightly there and more succinctly than we would. But what we say is, you know, think about building a business, not building a job or creating a job for yourself, right? And one of the easy ways to do that is if you're thinking about this as building a business, then turning your real estate assets into corporate assets and building a corporation that has systems, runs itself, pays its taxes properly, deducts its taxes properly. You know, Now you're actually thinking like a person who's building a business, building a real estate business, not building a real estate portfolio that is a job or a side hustle or whatever. And we want to train professional real estate investors or real estate investment companies, not individuals who are side hustling into real estate. We don't necessarily think that that's the best. I think that people who who probably are side hustling in real estate might have better avenues to get that exposure personally. Yeah. Beyond that, like what's the base knowledge that an individual investor needs to know on the tax side to cross that line that I just mentioned from being a real estate investor as a job or a landlord as a job versus starting a business, getting into the business of being a real estate investor, or starting a real estate investment business. Yeah, this is a big topic and we can probably expand that a little bit in other episodes, but I'll just touch on a couple high level points. On the income side, there's about four or five different types, right? When you step back, you've got your business income when you're actually running this as a business through a corporation. You have personal or employment income, which you're generating through work or through self-employment. You've got investment income and capital gains. Now, from a tax planning perspective, your business income, personal income, investment income, are all taxed at 100%. So whatever income you make, you're going to be taxed at 100. Whereas capital gains, with some exceptions, is typically taxed at about 50%. There's already a big benefit on that side. Now, from a tax planning perspective, there's two avenues to look at it. So you've got tax evasion and tax avoidance. 
tax evasions is illegal acts that you're undertaking in order to avoid paying tax and carries criminal consequences, which we're going to stay far away from. Exactly. Don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) And tax avoidance, which, you know, it's probably not the best word, but effectively tax avoidance is actually using the rules within the Income Tax Act, the ITA, to your benefit to minimize your tax burden. And, you know, how I look at that is I call it the three Ds of tax planning, which is deduct, defer, and divide. So on the deduct side, right, you always want to look at maximizing all of your possible deductions, whether it's through business income or employment income. From a deferral side, it's maximizing your RSPs, your RESPs, your TFSAs. And on the divide side is maximizing your income splitting. Now, all three of those you can, with a good tax strategy, solidify through a corporation. Now, I'll touch on the personal side just so that we can kind of give a good comparison where we're talking about the tax rates. But on, you know, your employment income is considered personal income, including your primary residence. If you're renting that out, that would be considered sole proprietorship. So when you're doing your income tax return, you're filing what's called a T776, which is a statement of real estate earnings. So when you're filing your taxes, you do have an ability to deduct certain expenses on your primary residence that you incurred in order to generate that rental income. So things like your depreciation, your utilities, your interest, However, it's prorated for the amount that's actually, so, you know, if you use square footage, for example, and it's a bungalow and you're renting, you're in the basement and you're renting the upstairs, it's a 50-50 split, you know, you would be able to claim a 50% deduction on those expenses. Now, from a personal income tax perspective, if you actually stand back and look at your T1, which I think most people probably will now, the biggest deduction or expense on your personal income tax is taxes right? The the Income Tax Act and the tax system, especially in Canada, is what's called a graduated system. So effectively, the more money you make personal, the more taxes you pay. So as you continue to go up in the tax brackets, you continue to pay more tax. You know, so for individuals that are in the 250 plus range in terms of gross income, you know, you're looking at average tax rates between 30 to high 40% range, right? Which is quite significant, right? So that's where those tax planning strategies become critical so that you can try and minimize that as much as possible and defer that tax as much as possible. Now, as a real estate investor, one of the ways that you can do to reduce that tax burden on the personal side is to shift that real estate portfolio into a corporation. Now, corporate tax, there's various different deductions and things to consider, but at a general level, we'll see average tax rates between the 20 to 26% range. So again, almost half what you're seeing on the personal side, but you also have access to a lot more deductions, but a lot more grants that we talked about when we spoke about the corporations. You know, income splitting is a little bit easier to do if you're splitting the shareholders and other things such as the small business deduction. Now, as a business owner, you also have the flexibility of either paying yourself a salary or issuing dividends to the corporation or a combination of both in order to reduce the tax burden that you would see on the employment side of things. Now, another consideration that's important to talk through, especially for tax on the business corporation side of things, is the the differentiation between business income and taxable income. Now, business income at a basic level is effectively your rental income minus all the expenses that you're paying in order to generate that rental income will give you your net income, right? A lot of of small businesses will look at this on what's called a cash basis. And by cash basis, it just means if you look at your bank account, it's the cash coming in, cash coming out. 
they view this as the profitability or the net operating income from that rental business. Now, when you're filing your taxes at the end of the year, the CRA will look at this differently. They will look at what's called taxable income. Now, when you're calculating what's called taxable income on your T2 corporate tax return, you are able to deduct certain expenses against that revenue. So one of the big ones, especially, and you're able to do this both on the personal and the business side, is the concept of CCA, so capital cost allowance, which I'm going to call depreciation just for simplicity. But effectively, when you're buying a property, you cannot deduct the full amount of the property against the income. So what happens is you set this up on your balance sheet as an asset and you depreciate this over time. So effectively, as the building deteriorates in condition, right, you're going to have to go back and make some repairs, fix the roofs, fix the boiler, you know, fix the heater and things like that. That's why the Income Tax Act allows you to depreciate that asset over that period of time. Now, when you're acquiring properties, the cost segregation is important, especially from an income tax perspective. So when you're buying a property, you're buying a number of things. You're buying the land that it sits on. You're buying the building. And if you're doing any of this for a furnished rental, you're also buying fixtures. Now, from an income tax perspective, those three things are deductible differently. So your building in most buildings would be considered what's called a class one building where they're depreciated at 4% per year. So again, so that's 4% of the value of the asset that you can deduct from rental income every year. Land, because land doesn't move, it doesn't necessarily deteriorate in condition, is not depreciable. So that would continue to sit on your balance sheet and would not be deducted against that income. But your fixtures, so anything that you're putting into the building, if it's a furnished rental, you know, like your furniture, your fridge, your stove, and things like that would be considered class eight fixtures. And those are depreciable at 20% per year. So a couple of considerations on that depreciation is what's called the half year rule. So effectively, in your first tax year of acquisition, you're only allowed to take 50% of that depreciation in the first year. But again, this rolls over every year, and you can continue to deduct this against your income. And we're starting to see a lot of government programs, especially more recently on the clean energy, where certain improvements you're making to buildings, you're actually able to take 100% of that capital cost allowance in the first year. So full depreciation, which would reduce that rental income in some cases to zero and lead to zero taxable income. Now, additional things that you can deduct against that rental income are anything you're doing to maintain the property. So your repairs and maintenance, any interest costs on the debt to purchase the property, any marketing expenses, any advisor fees, right? So I highly recommend you start working with a tax planning specialist and an accountant to keep the books. You know, um, any good guys? Yeah, I, I do. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any wages you're paying to anybody in the organization to help manage the business, as well as any wages for yourself if you're taking money out of the business that way. Now. Once you look at that rental income, less of depreciation, less all of your operating expenses, that taxable income line is what you're actually going to be taxed on. And it's usually very different than what the business income is. And that's where those tax strategies become very important because you can really look at things of when you're acquiring a building, when you're disposing of a building, how you're structuring the depreciation and that cost segregation to reduce the amount of taxable income that you have in a given year. And, you know, one of the things that I see often here, especially for new corporations, is that concept on the cash basis, right? So at the end of the year, they think they have all this money in the bank and they can go out and spend it. And you do your tax returns and then you owe CRA some money, 
right? So what I recommend typically for a lot of new companies is to set up two bank accounts, right? You set up a bank account for your day-to-day operations, and then you set up a savings account for income taxes. So on a monthly basis, as rental income comes in, you're putting money away and aside for tax purposes, and your accountant can help you kind of gauge how much that should be. But that really makes sure at the end of the year that when that tax bill is due, you do have the funds in order to support that cash flow item. Now, so that's on the acquisition side and that's on the business income side. The other income component that we can talk about now is the capital gains. So the capital gains is when a capital asset, so I'm just going to broadly define a capital asset as it, call it a property. So when you are deemed to have disposed that property, so under the Income Tax Act, you don't necessarily have to sell the property for it to be deemed sold. It can be selling it, it can be giving it away, it can be reassigning it, it can be you know, if the property is destroyed or a house wouldn't be stolen, but if it's, you know, some property fixtures or something that are stolen that you have on, on the balance sheet, those would be deemed to have been disposed. And you have to run through what's called the capital gain calculation. So the capital gain is effectively the difference between what you're selling the property for and what you paid for the property. You know, sometimes in certain scenarios, you can also deduct any costs associated with disposing of that asset. So if you need to make some, you know, final repairs and modifications before you can sell a property, you can usually deduct it off that gain. But in general sense, what you're getting for the property less what you paid would be considered a capital gain and would be taxed at 50%. Now, if there's any accountants on the line, they're probably going to say, yes, yes, yes. But you also have what's called CCA recapture. I'm not going to go into details on that today because that can probably get an hour conversation. But effectively, the ITA wants to make sure that you're paying tax on the full value of the gain. So there's certain situations where you have to add back some of that depreciation, which we can talk about in a separate episode. Now, if you have a lot of listeners as well that are listening in the US side of things, you know, you're hearing them talk about capital tax deferrals. On the Canadian side, this is something that, you know, is not very common. There's very few opportunities for capital gain deferrals. There's small little things that you can do, which we can talk about in a separate episode, but it's not as common as what we're seeing in the US. And the last point that I wanted to raise on the tax point from a corporation is there's also the concept of what's called loss carrybacks and loss carryforwards. And they can be split between a capital and a non-capital. So what that means is in a tax year, if you generate a capital loss, so it means if you sell or dispose of a property that is less than what the actual value of the property is on your books from a tax perspective, you can take that loss. Now, if you don't have taxable income to deduct that against, you can go back three years. So if you pay taxes on income previously, you can reassess and reduce that amount from taxable income three years back or carry that forward unlimited. So that means in future years, as you're generating that income, you can take that capital loss against that. For non-capital losses, which effectively broadly means business losses. So if you're not, you know, if your property is not cash flowing, chances are you're going to have an actual loss at the end of the year in priority years or carry that forward for 10 years. So again, that tax planning really becomes important because you do have that flexibility to move it around. Not It doesn't all have to actually transact in the current year. Wow. That was a lot. <laughs> I feel like my head's going to explode. Am I, I, I might be a tax genius at this point. Well, Patrick, let's just say we'll, we'll wrap it up here, but I, I can assure you that you have solidified yourself as a repeat guest because I have probably another 10 questions 
that I want to have answered. And, I, and I'm sure we're going to get a bunch of emails regarding some of the stuff you said, which was fascinating, enlightening, and I hope provided a ton of value to our listeners because I know that provided a ton of value for Dan and I. Any closing remarks? I know we're going to have you back, so this isn't goodbye. It's just see you later. But any kind of closing remarks before we wrap this one up here? Yeah, there's two things that probably would be good for us to chat about in probably in a future episode, but they're, you know, the anti-flipping tax, right? With uh, with the government of Canada introduced earlier this year, that's really important for people to consider what the implications are. You know, draft legislation is in and that will change how the CRA looks at uh, personal property. And the second one, which I think you're getting a lot of questions on, is the concept of what's called the Smith Maneuver, which, you know, I can probably talk about for an hour. So probably best that Perfect. we do that. In we'll save that episode. one then too. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it feels like we kind of opened Pandora's box here on the accounting side of things. And we deliberately had delayed it for a while to build rapport with the audience before we kind of got into the nitty gritty. So for those of you listening who have very specific questions, what we're going to do is kind of just like democratize this and whatever questions we get asked the most, those are the ones that Patrick's going to be answering first on the accounting side. So give us some feedback on this episode and feel free to reach out to Patrick as well. We'll put his contact information in the show notes and hit us with some specific questions that we can cover broadly. And we'll go from there. If people want to reach you, Patrick, where should they do that? Yeah, the easiest is info at xcrgroup.ca or, you know, as an accountant, I'm not that active on social, but at Picassette, the number one, both on Insta and Twitter. Amazing. Cool. We'll, we'll throw those in the show notes. Patrick, absolute pleasure, man. Really appreciate Perfect. it. Thanks, guys. Um, appreciate I'm going to have to go back and listen to this one myself. So <laughs> thanks so much, man. We'll talk yeah. to you again soon. Sounds thanks, good. Man. Thanks, guys. Okay. And as we wrap that one up, I do want to say that because Patrick is a very above board individual, as accountants tend to be, we do have to say that this material has been prepared for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide and should not be relied on for tax, legal, or accounting advice. You should consult your own tax, legal, and accounting advisors before engaging in any transaction. You're welcome to make Patrick one of them. Give him a call. His contact info is <laughs> in the show notes. Yeah, totally. And I mean, you know, it's funny, Dan, I don't want to make any assumptions about our listeners here, but I'm going to pick on myself here. And I I think I said this already in in the intros that my biggest weakness in in business has been the lack of accounting skills, right? And it's really that who not how mentality. I want to be a real estate investor. I want to build a real estate investing business. I don't want to figure out all the ins and outs of capital gains or the corporate structure and how to pay myself in dividends or, or shares or, you know, any of the other things that he went over. But that's why you bring a guy like Patrick onto the team and you do it as soon as you've decided that you are going to go down the path of real estate investing. This isn't the kind of thing where you wait until you've got 10 properties and then say, oh, shucks, I got to go back and you know figure all this stuff out. Start off on the right foot and get a guy like him or whoever, get someone like that on your team because it will change the trajectory of your business very early yeah, on. Yeah, I think it comes down to really like specialization and division of labor, right? I think that was totally Adam Smith. It's Oh, that's not a Daniel no, Fosher. No, 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 I wish it was. <laughs> There's something to be said for being a generalist at the beginning and exposing yourself to a lot of things and seeing how all the mechanics of real estate investing work. And, and that's one of the big things that we want to talk about on this podcast. But once you've learned that you're not the best person to do that task, find somebody better to do it and pay them because it'll always be worth your time. And even if you're paying an accountant, account, like accountants, lawyers, they're not cheap, 150 bucks an hour in some cases, right? More, upwards. But as soon as you're paying somebody to do that, you're, you're rewarding yourself by saying my time is worth that much because I have to pay somebody to do a better job than I can spending an hour doing that 
And the reality is it's only going to take them probably half or less than half of the time that it would have taken you to do that task. So I really enjoyed that episode. I'm mean, looking forward to getting Patrick back on the show. And I guess one of the one things that we that we did want to mention before we wrap this up is, you know, we've been asked by a lot of people to build some sort of centralized place for individuals who listen to the show to talk, but also to talk to people like Patrick and create this this dialogue like we're having. And the in-person events have been amazing. And and I just wanted to kind of tease that we are in the works of, you know, we've been approached by somebody who's awesome in the in the technology space for real estate in the GTA and across Canada, who has a experience with with landlords and tenants. And we're hoping to put together basically like a forum. A lot of people are comparing us to a large U.S. organization who who has one of those. And we want to, I mean, for us, it's really just taking that feedback that we're getting from the audience and trying to trying to do whatever we can to meet the expectations that you have of us because we want to create as much value as we can. So hopefully in the new year, you'll be able to interact with somebody like Patrick, ask for more specific questions and connect with them on a in an online setting that we're going to be creating. So if you're interested in joining that, signing up on the waiting list or whatever it is, we'll put a link in the bio for you to do that or just send us an email. You guys have all been great for emailing us. So reach out. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, thanks so much, guys. This was a great episode. We hope you got as much value out of it as Dan and I did, because I know we did. Send us a note and leave us a good review. Until next time, every Tuesday and Friday, we'll talk to you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Ambassador is for entertainment purposes only and not financial or investment advice. Always do your own due diligence. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center, license number 10317, and a partner in G&H Mortgage Group. Agent license is M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker at Royal LePage or Community Realty, a member of Royal LePage Commercial, and a licensee with the Canadian Real Estate Association, Ontario Real Estate Association, and a member of the Toronto Real Estate Board.